Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Little Left of Center, the podcast that interviews culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground. We hear a lot about bully prevention and usually think of the kids who are getting bullied. But what about the bully? My guest today was the bully. His name is Michael Zed Johnson, and he is the author of Bully on the Bus. He is a speaker, a businessman, and mentor, and entrepreneur, and has committed his life to speaking directly to the kids and inspiring a new path. Ooh, the stories I hear of bullying in schools is so frightening, especially when you think of the digital bullying as well as physical bullying. And we talked a lot about my own experiences at school, not only being bullied, well, duh, I grew up in New Jersey, but embarrassingly how I was an offender too. And we both got really vulnerable in this chat. Do you have a story about bullying? Text me at 470-242-6311. And before we get into my chat with Michael, I always like to give you a quick behind-the-scenes look at what's going on with the podcast. Podcasting is a really unique medium. It's powerful and a very effective platform, but it is very one-sided from the host or hosts. You don't always get the benefit of instant feedback. In some weeks, you might get a ton and some might be crickets, and many people listen and most listen passively. For instance, I have shows I've listened to religiously. I think they sound great. I've learned a ton, like I'm literally being changed from these shows. I follow them on social media. I've told my friends to listen. I may have even quoted them on this show, but I've never left them a review on Apple Podcasts. So I'm making more of a conscious effort to do that now because I always ask my listeners to subscribe, rate, and review my show. So I need to be a little more mindful of it. But when you have the chance to, please make sure you text me at 470-242-6311. So what happened last week is after my interview with Kristen Oja of Stat Wellness, I'd been getting some really heartfelt and thoughtful notes about my show and about my growth as a podcaster and interviewer and some really encouraging notes about my guests. I just felt so grateful to have my feedback and know that people care about the content. And the truth be told, this show is really just one long therapy session for me. And I take the position that if I'm feeling a certain way, I know I can't be alone. And that's one of the reasons why I added a text line for the show to make it a little more bi-directional, a little more communicative. Again, the number is 470-242-6311. And I want to hear from you. What moved you? Are you inspired to do something different or think about something in a new way? What are you curious about? What suggestions do you have for me? All of those comments help me make a better show. So text me at 470-242-6311 and let's connect. And oh yes, please subscribe, rate, and review my show in Apple Podcasts. It's really nice to know you're listening and it helps others find me too. And now to my chat with Michael Z. Johnson. <laughs> So we're here with Michael Johnson, but not just Michael Johnson, Michael Z. Johnson, because I imagine that is probably a good way for you to differentiate yourself from all the Mike Johnsons in the world. What I think is interesting is that, you know, we talk a lot about mental health and the suicide rate, especially with young kids growing and growing and growing. And a lot of that is attributed not only to social media, but specifically around bullying. And so there's a lot of focus from a, a bullying perspective on being bullied. And you were the bully. Yeah, I was. It's, it's funny how this whole thing started. I used to speak at schools about my journey from the projects to owning a business and meeting a mentor. And I would go and I would tell that story. Look at me. I'm awesome. I did it. If I can do it, anyone can. And last year, my little girl, uh, when she was in the third grade, asked me if I'd come speak at her school. And I said, I'll be happy to, but that's not really a third grade conversation. And she said, Daddy, what about those two girls used to make cry on the bus? And so I decided I would go speak. It's the one person in this world I don't want to let down. So I decided to go speak at her school and write a book about it, a children's book called Bully on the Bus, about my experiences as a bully. And as I shared the story with people, what I've learned is what was really going on with me. And it was a coping mechanism. I was extremely ashamed of being poor. And if I'm making fun of you, then no one else can be making fun of me. 
And, uh, and were you and then, a tough guy when you were growing up? Were you angry? No, what, no. How did, how did uh, rewind all the way back? All right. So if I go all the way back, it's when I was five, my mom and dad separated. And I could remember early, like in third grade, my mother teaching me the same lessons that everyone's mothers taught them be kind, treat people the way you want to be treated. If you don't have anything nice, they don't say anything at all. And, and, and I thought then she was fussing at me when she would get on to me about it. But what she was doing was building my character. But we moved all the time. In sixth grade, I come home to find my mom throwing everything we own in trash bags and in a U-Haul. And she's like, we're leaving. And we move. And 10 days later, we move again. So it was very difficult for me to make mm. friends and for me to learn. So what I ended up doing was just going to the crowd that would accept you. And that was the people that were making fun, the class clowns, all that, that kind of stuff. And they would accept you in. And I didn't have quality friends. And what I've come to realize is because quality friends look for quality. And I didn't have that to offer at that time because I didn't know if I'd be here next week. And um, we end up, I start my first business at 14 to help my mom pay the rent because um, she couldn't find a job. And she said, come to me, said, we're about to be homeless. So I, my brother and I sold our dirt bikes. We started our first business and that worked through the summer. Then school started. We moved into the projects and, and I just, there was these two girls that lived there. We would pick on them on the bus and call them gruesome twosome. And we would chant gruesome twosome need to lose some. And these girls would go home crying every single day. And as an adult, I wanted to apologize because I started changing the way I thought my circle of influence and that kind of stuff but I couldn't apologize because I couldn't remember their names. All I could remember was gruesome twosome and, and what mm. we called them and the way we acted. But no, it, for me, it was, it was more coping. And if I'm picking on you, no, you know, nobody's picking on me. Um, never was, never got into fighting and, and tough guy stuff like that. And my mom always taught me to protect people, protect the weak, stand up for the weak, respect women, protect them when you can. And, and I did my fair share of that, but I also thought at 14 or 15, when this was going on, I was making fun of the week. What I realized at 40 was I was the weak one. I could have stopped it. I chose not to. What made you realize that 40, where did, where was that turning point for you? I, I, you know, I, I think it, again, it goes back to changing kind of my circle of influence. Uh, and I was just doing a lot of reflecting at that time in my life. And I was, I was just thinking, and, and it, it got me to where, I could have stopped it and I chose not to. It was easier for me to pile on to these two girls than do the right thing and do what my mother had taught me my whole life. Um, and it was, I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking. I could remember one time and I remember videos coming out too. There was a video that came out of a mother filming her son and he's crying about why do people bully? And like I had to pull over on the side of the road. I'm crying because it's because I wanted to apologize to these girls and and fortunately, last December, I had that opportunity. You did. Yes. So how did you remember what their names were? How did you get reconnected? So I found a, an old friend that lived in the, uh, the projects with me. And I sent her a message. I said, hey, do you remember the two girls that I used to pick on on the bus and make cry, the twins? And she said, yeah, I think their names were Sarah and Sally. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's it. And so I tried to find them on Facebook. Apparently, they're the only the only women on Facebook that don't use their maiden names, but I found their brother, tracked them down through their brother and sent them a message. And I was terrified. Like my palms were sweating. I was scared to death because now I've got to do what's right. Make my little girl proud, make my wife proud, my mother proud, um, and just kind of get this off my chest. And I sent them a message and Hey, is this Sarah and Sally from Holly Hills apartments, Kingsport, Tennessee? And they're like, yeah. And one of them come back and said, yeah, and I was just talking about you last week and my heart sank. Wow. They haven't forgotten. And, and what if it's, I hate you, you ruined my life. And the, and, the, and the thing I dreaded the most was the simplest question of all. And that was why, why did you do this to me? And um, that's not at all what I got. I'm laying in the bed, my phone beeps and I'm too scared to look at it because if it was those dreadful thoughts or dreadful expectations. I wouldn't be able to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and by that point they had both responded and they said the same thing for the most part. They said, I'm sorry, you've had to deal with this for so long and I don't really remember you like that. Wow. Uh, but it goes back to, to me talking about me being weak and these girls being courageous is, I mean, even today they're apologizing to me and I, I stole the ride home from Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it, it's, it's really bizarre when I sit back and I think about it and, and the journey and even speaking at schools has changed. It was all about bullying. And now when I speak to the older students, middle school and high school, I do another exercise and it's really turned into mental health conversation. So it's, it's kind of come full circle. 
So if I'm reading between the lines, you said, you know, you, you kind of were transient. You uh, didn't grow up with a lot of money. It sounded like your mom was really scrappy, but she was very conscious of teaching you the right things. And, you know, people, people go off path, right? And, you know, I was thinking about my own journey that I remember there was this kid and I used to bully him and I would, he was like this kind of a, a, a weird dude. And I used to call him Greek geek. We all called him Greek geek. And I, uh, I feel awful still. <laughs> I don't really remember his name. And on the, on the same token, um, I was bullied that, you know, so I grew up in New Jersey and in New Jersey were loud <laughs> or louder in general. And there were these girls that just hated me. And, um, and, and I feel like if people from my high school are watching this or listening to this, they might remember, but there was like a group of girls that just hated me. And I remember when I was a freshman, they came up to me and they said, um, we don't like you and we're going to pick you up. We're going to take you to Newark, New Jersey. We're going to beat the shit out of you and we're going to leave you for dead. And my mother was like beside herself, you know, and we got into a fist fight yeah. um, and got suspension. And uh, to this day, I hate that girl. And I don't even know her. I'm not friends with her on Facebook. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, I'll be like, friends you might know, and I'll see her. And, uh, and it's amazing, you know, yeah. like how, how those things really, really stick with you. And, you know, whether or not she remembers it or is even thinking about me or you know, did it really make a huge impact? But I think now the stakes are so much higher yes. in high school, in social media. And so you've been on a speaking circuit. So you've written this book, Bully on the Bus, and you've been speaking and giving your books and having people donate to help support your cause. What are you finding? I looked at your social media and you were sharing these these unbelievably heartbreaking stories. Oh, it's brutal. Uh, Oh my God. So tell me more about how this really turned around for you. So I, th I think the most important thing to know is two things. What I've really focused on lately is number one, your current situation isn't your fault. If you're poor, divorced family, your parents are addicts, that's not your fault. Like I carried that with me for a long time that, that we moved into the projects because at 14, the first business I started wasn't sustainable to provide for my family. What business did you start at 14? I, I started the landscape business. And I told my little brother. So my mom, we moved from Oregon. She had $1,700 and we were mm -hmm. moving back to Tennessee and we didn't, we couldn't take anything. We didn't. So we literally took our bicycles. My brother and I took our dirt bikes and I remember taking a deep freezer and tools. Like we had no furniture when we got there. My brother and I built bunk beds out of plywood and we slept on air mattresses or floats from a swimming pool. Were you guys just super industrious? You know, like how did you figure all this out? We were always like that. You know, I, my uncle was a huge male role model in my life and he was kind of my hero and smartest guy I'd ever met kind of thing. And, and he was, was very hands-on and, and taught us that stuff, but that's what we did. My brother's still like that to this day. I'm not so much, but um, we did that. And a couple months after we moved there, my mom come to me with a different story. And this time there wasn't a lot of money. It was, I still can't find a job and we're about to be homeless. So I, my little brother and I, we got together. I told him, I think we need to sell our dirt bikes and start a business. And that's what we did. We started Brothers Yard Service. Still one of my favorite pictures. I, I keep it everywhere with me. I share it with every student I speak to. But at 14, I couldn't spell the word service. I spelled it with an S instead of a C. And apparently my mom mm. couldn't spell it either. And But I, I haven't, I've never let those things stop me. Like I don't read well and I don't write well and, and I, I can't spell well. So when I wrote the book, I found somebody to help me and, 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 um, I use Audible as a crutch, you know, to, to take in content, a lot of YouTube and videos. But for me, the change was when probably when I'm, when it started was when I met my now wife um, 26 years ago at, in high school. And she started kind of teaching me or reaffirming the, the character building that my mother had done. And then I met a mentor and a mentor changed my life. And then I, I realized I kind of put two and two together. Um, and started changing what I call circle of influence and started slipping into my mentor circle. And then what I really realized lately is what we were sharing earlier was if you surround yourself with people that refuse to allow you to fail, you can do anything. So like, like when I used to tell the story of going from the projects and starting that first business to owning my business and selling it last year, 
was it was me, 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 me. And what I realized is it wasn't none of it. Mm -hmm. I could have done any of it myself. It was everyone I surrounded myself with the people that don't get credit. That's what got me through it. And, and so their current situation, you know, it's not their fault and you're not alone. Whatever's going on in your mind, you're not alone. And so I, I do an exercise with middle school and high school students when I go to the schools to speak. I'll send a video to the school before I get there that says, hey, I'm super excited about showing up. I want this to be interactive. I want you to take away from it. I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to take a piece of paper and write down something that weighs heavy on your heart, something you're not proud of, you're ashamed mm. of, something you want to get off your chest, something you need help with but don't know how. Keep it anonymous unless you want help um, and then write your name on it. And I'll give you three examples. Number one is my family. My mother's a drug addict. My father's an alcoholic. And my brother doesn't speak to me. Number two is I'm 44. I don't read, write, or spell well at all. And number three is I've battled suicidal thoughts for the last 10 years because mm. of medicine. And so I go through my whole life journey presentation. And toward the end of it, I ask them to take the paper and wad it up and throw it on the floor. Just throw it at me. And the floor gets covered with hundreds of pieces of paper. And then I just show them visually that you see all this paper laid around me. You're not alone. 90% of the stuff that's written down here, I've dealt with. I just shared with you in my journey and my story. And, um, and I'll pick them up and I'll read them. And the first time I did this exercise, the fourth one I picked up was I want to kill myself. Mm. And these are middle school students. Um, four of them at this one school that had 900 students, four of them said they'd been raped. Probably three uh. dozen. Yeah, probably three dozen said mm. they wanted to uh, kill themselves. As a father, the one that had the biggest impact on me was just three words. And all it said was my dad's existence. Mm. Like that floored me. Um, and then I could remember one, uh, a young lady, again, this is middle school. She comes up to me. She has tears in her eyes. She had been crying. Her eyes are all red. She's holding her best friend's hand. And she just looks at me, not with desperation, but, but something else. And says, how did you get rid of the thoughts? And I just gave her a big hug and whispered in her ear and told her, I haven't, but I know I don't want to die and that I'm stronger than my thoughts and you're stronger than yours and I'll help you get help. Um, and so the, the mission has changed or the, the journey has, has evolved um, into speaking to more of the older students and let's get this stuff out there. Let's get the stigma of mental health out. I tell them, I'm like, I've seen a therapist. I'm a big burly guy and I'm, I'll stand up here and tell you, I'll stand in front of them and cry. I'm like, it's, it's okay. It's not your fault. And have, um, it's been life changing. Have you seen a difference in gender and, and what affects them? Because I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking about <clears throat> that documentary, The Mask You Live In. Have you seen it? Have, I have not. It's unbelievable. And it is about how boys... Um, and there's a, a girl one called misrepresentation, but the mask you live in is about how boys are socially conditioned to be the man, to not cry, to man up, to, yeah. you know, to never show emotion. And, and what happens is as they um, get older and they've never been able to fully express how they feel, they've always been shamed for that, that they, it ends up in fits of rage or, um, suicide, suicidal thoughts, or just not being able to, to kind of access emotions that they might have. Sure. Um, and it's a really powerful documentary. For me, it was life-changing and it kind of helped us. I've got a little boy who is uh, seven and a little girl who's four, and it has kind of shaped, you know, how we raise our kids and the, the words we use. So I'm wondering, do you see any difference with genders? Or any trends? So I do. And that's what I was going to tell you is so a, 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 a male student wrote on his piece of paper. And I'll read it to you. My emotions are a sign that I'm weak. I never show my emotions that much. And that's exactly right. That's because that's the way we were kind of taught our whole life is, is you don't cry. You don't show emotions. That's weakness. And even when I started seeing a therapist, I knew that I needed to go see a female because I didn't feel like I could be honest and open up wow. of another male. But I, again, at, at 44 or whatever, I knew that um, same thing with the suicidal thoughts. I knew it was side effects from medicine, but I wouldn't expect a 12 year old to understand that. Um, so, but, but the girls I, I feel are more open, but a lot of the stuff that guys talk about, they're different. Uh, you know, girls are talking about fake friends and being mm -hmm. bullied and, and daddy issues and stuff like that. And, and boys are, are talking more to me about my brother 
is having suicidal thoughts and it scares me. I remember that standing out. Um, I'm afraid that my parents are going to jail. You know, they're more open about kind of other people in their life is what I feel like where girls are, are, are more kind of looking in the mirror and talking about what's really bothering them. But it, it's been crazy. Like I, I broke down that day. Like now I have all these papers and I don't know what to do with them. You take, you keep these papers yeah. that people crumple up and throw yep. at you. Yep. What do I've you do them. with them? So one of them I've got laying right here beside me. I want to have it framed. Um, cause it was a letter. This child wrote literally a letter and, and it was all this terrible stuff. And then it, the last line was, but it's getting better now. Mm. And so, so I'm going to keep that. I think ultimately what we'll end up doing is probably using it in some kind of book. Um, not like a, not like a book of chapters, but almost like a photo book of the stuff I've been posting online to where maybe on the left page, we have one of these horrendous things and on the right page is something positive you know, kind of, kind of balance yin and yang each other, but it, it's tough. You know, I give the ones back to the schools that if they ask about any abuse or suicidal thoughts, uh, especially if children write their names on it, I always give those back or at least let them know what's going on. Yeah. You probably have a responsibility if they're I, saying things like that. I was torn. Um, what happened at the first school I did it at, um, I was just walking around afterwards with the principal and I was picking them up and reading them. And one of them said that this, this young lady said she'd been sexually abused and she put her name on it. And the principal immediately said, I want that. And I was torn because I didn't want to give it to them because I was afraid this child opened up to a complete stranger and you can't just call her on the assist on the PA and say, Hey, come to the office. Mm. What's this? Tell me what's going on because now seems like a violation and a yeah yeah well but trust. she she may never open up again and although it needs to be investigated and should how's this child going to feel if dad or uncle or whoever now goes to jail let's say it's dad she they go to jail now it's single mom trying to raise them they had their life completely changes they move into the like now she's got to carry all that as well as being abused and I just I just encourage the school to really be careful about how you handle this. It needs to be handled. And what, what kind of was the turning point for me to where I decided to give them all back was one of them, one of the children had written that they had all these horrible things going on and didn't know how to get help. And to me, that was a cry for help and, and the schools can do that. So now I ask them to keep it anonymous unless they want help. If they want help and don't know how to get it, write your name on it. I have the schools have mm. guidance counselors on staff right there in, in the presentations, but it's been extremely powerful and life changing for me. Yeah. So I love how you make it very experiential. You get them involved. I think it's powerful because it seems like you're giving these, these kids a voice for whatever sure. it is. And I'm wondering how you use your platform to get them help. So I'm sure they feel heard and they feel seen in the moment, but how do you get them on a path? to healing. So whether it is mental, mental health, or even just confusion and just puberty. Yeah. So, so that's the challenge. And I was, I was having this conversation earlier with a great friend of mine is because once I'm gone, I'm gone. You know, I mean, they could bring me back next year and we could have the same talk and get more people open up. But the key there is really you leveraging the schools and the counselors at the schools to get the schools involved um, to where, they can help these children find help. I immediately talked to a therapist friend of mine, did a podcast with her. The, those assets and those resources are available through the schools. Um, but it, it's tough. And that's why when the first day I did it and I had all these papers, I called one of my great friends who's the number one speaker in education in the world. And I sent him a text. I'm like, Nathan, I need you to call me and pray for me because I like, I don't know what to do with these now. Like I was really torn with now what, like these kids open up, I've got hundreds of these papers and what do I do with them now? And um, so he called me and gave me his advice and, and he prayed. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's been a, a, a crazy, crazy road. How, it seems how like long have you been purpose. doing this? this is since last year? So I've been speaking um, on and off at local high schools about my journey from start my first business to selling my last one. And again, how awesome I so it's am. More I mean, entrepreneurial, you know, yeah. kind of, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps right. and yeah, I did it. You can do it. Anybody mm -hmm. can do it. Don't let somebody tell you, you were can. you always a speaker. How did you get uh, involved? With no, it? I, and well, and I stunk at it as well. Um, and then, you know, when my little girl asked me to do it and we got into elementary schools and then we just started speaking at, at other schools, but, I don't know. I just, I was terrified, especially as a child standing up in front of the class. I couldn't read well. So I was always afraid I'd get called on to read. And then just one day I just got to do it. 
And I've noticed, you know, in, in hindsight, everything I ever started, I didn't belong there. When I started selling baseball cards, I didn't belong there. I just had 50 cards and the guy beside me had 50,000, but I didn't stop. I didn't let that allow me to stop. So I just kept pushing through. And when I started speaking, I thought it was the greatest. I could remember telling friends, I'm going to do a TED talk and I'm doing this. And I look back at that stuff and it was terrible. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't storytell at all. And I went and uh, a guy from the group um, said, hey, have you ever heard of Nathan Harmon? I might know who's that. He's like, he's the number one speaker in the space that you want to be in. You probably need to get to know him. So I cold emailed Nathan and said, hey, I need some help. I'm trying to break into the space. I'm having a lot of troubles. Here's what I'm wanting. To, here's the story I want to share. And he emailed me back. He's like, let's set up a call. I'll give you 30 minutes. And he called and gave me all kinds of advice. Said, hey, I'll help you do anything I can. And he felt really genuine. And I text him. A couple days later, I'm like, hey, man, I'd really like to take you out to dinner and kind of pick your brain. Can I come see you speak and take you out to dinner? And he's like, absolutely. And we lined it up. I was going to go to Portland to meet him, and it was his anniversary. That kind of fell apart. He's like, I got a better idea. I'm speaking in Indiana where I'm from. Come there. All you got to do is drive me. So it turned out better because I got two hours each direction. Wow. I spent two days with him. And from Nathan, I learned kind of the art of storytelling. Because used to, I would say, my mom and dad got a divorce at, when I was five and then this happened and, then, and it was just a linear line of facts yeah, yeah. and there was no engagement. There was no emotion. There was no anything. And then once I, I learned kind of the art of storytelling, I start the story off completely different and, and I add the details that, that, that engage these students that, that it, it, they see themselves in me. I see myself in them and, and that was it. And I love it. It's, it's, I need, I, I still got to get a lot better but I really, really enjoy it. And what I've got to do now is, is tie in some of the, the, the positive stuff and, and help these kids down their own path um, after I tell them, you know, kind of my story. So, so I'm wondering, you are one guy, and the, I, I just thought yesterday that the number two cause of death for kids 9 to 19 is suicide. And it's an epidemic that's not going away. And I have a girlfriend, I was texting her this morning, and she has committed, like her passion is to, is because of that stat, is to find antidotes and ways to help prevent and expose parents that a lot of parents will turn a blind eye because they don't know how to help. I don't know that it is even a stigma against um, therapy, but they don't know how to help or identify or what, you know, how, how do I figure out what's right. Um, is my kid, <clears throat> excuse me, is my kid okay? And I talked to my girlfriend and she said, you know, I'm really going through some stuff right now. My, my son's friend just committed suicide. Like her worst, you know, nightmare is sure. kind of still happening. So how do you, um, how do you help parents identify? How do you help kids speak up because I've, you know, I, my very first episode of Little Left of Center was with um, a 16 year old girl who's like this amazing industrious activist. And, you know, she, we were talking about suicide and depression and she said, you know, so many of my friends are depressed. She's like, I've suffered from depression and thoughts of suicide and anxiety. And, you know, so many of my friends' parents, they, you know, like they won't, they're afraid to talk about it because they're afraid that their parents will just put them on drugs and yeah. that's not what they want. So, you know, where is, is there any answers? Are there any guidance or advice that you can help that you've seen? I, I, I mean, I can speak from my own personal experience. My mother has battled depression her whole life. And I always looked at depression as it's just life. Suck it up. We live in the projects. Our apartment's full of cockroaches. We're on food. Life sucks right now. And that's what it is yourself up by your bootstraps until I got on that medicine. And then I realized firsthand that when brain chemicals get out of whack, you have no control over that. You're just along for the ride. And even like all the struggling that I did with it, as much as my wife and I spend time together and she loves me to the moon and back, she didn't understand it either. And like, I would like, it was all consuming for me. When the, the medicine or the, the depression, tell me, well, can you the, add a little context. Yeah. The, the suicidal thoughts from this medicine, like mm -hmm. I would sit in my office for hours. What was the medicine for? Thyroid. Thyroid. I've, yeah. So I've got hyperthyroidism and, I, and, and, and like my customers in my old business, was it, I owned a two-way radio shop, a Motorola shop. So it was police and city managers and, and education. And I called my doctor's office and I was like, look, I'm having these terrible side effects. I can't 
I'm in a fog. I'm thinking about killing myself all the time. I need to, to get in and get this medicine changed. And um, the response from the doctor was, that's impossible. And so I start typing in the medicine into Google. And it's it impossible that you would have suicide thoughts yeah, from yeah, this from this medicine. medicine. Mm-hmm. And I, t- I start typing the name into Google and it immediately comes up with suicide, autofill, mm-hmm. suicide. And um, so I just, I just knew what it was and I quit taking the medicine, got on some different medicine and it cleared it up. But I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't expect a 12 year old to realize what it was, but it took that life lesson for me to realize that depression is a real thing. It's just not somebody having a bad day mm-hmm. um, that, that when things are out of whack, you're just kind of along for the ride and you have no control over it. My wife noticed a change in me, my colleagues, my business partner, everyone noticed a change. But when I kind of connected all the dots, I went back to all those people and told them that there's something going on and I know it's the medicine. So if you notice me acting strange or weird, it's a side effect from this. But mm. it was it was brutal. And they, and they still I don't know if it's kind of created a permanent situation with me or whatever, but they still pop into my head all the time. And like how do I told you them, how do you combat it? I, I just know I don't want to die. I mean, mm. for me, that's what it is. Um, what does it feel I, like? What does it feel like to have suicidal thoughts and not want to die? It's, it's really, it's really strange. Like today, um, I was thinking about it. Um, and I don't know why, like it just pops in my head. I'm driving down the road. I'm leaving a school from speaking to, to elementary students today and hanging myself just pops into my Mm -hmm. head. And so then I'm like, but I don't want my little girl to find me. Like I have these conversations in my head all along knowing that I I don't want to die. Like I love my life and I love the mission I'm on and my family and friends and that kind of stuff. But it's really bizarre and difficult for me to explain because it just pops up. But like when it was all consuming, I'm like, I've got to die, but I need my wife and family to collect life insurance money. So how am I going to make this look like Mm. a murder? Mm. I'm like, I I know what I'll do. I'll just put my my workout weight vest on, go rent a jet ski, go out in the ocean and jump in with a 40 pound weight vest. That'll they'll never find me. And and I'm like, those are crazy. And like, I realized that, but, but that's like you're watching your own movie while this is going on. Do you know? Kind of. I mean, it was really, really weird. And then, it would clear up for a couple of days or a couple of hours or whatever. And then it would be right back into, I, I just, I don't want to say hear voices. Cause I don't think, but I mean, you could just kind of get in your own thoughts and it would be mm. like, Oh, I got to kill myself. But you know, I don't want some mess. And I start thinking about if I kill myself in the house and how's my wife and kid going to come back here. And, but all the while knowing that I didn't want to die. Uh, and as soon as I got off the medicine, it really helped it. But like I said, there's some, there's still some lingering thoughts, but I just know that, that that's not me. And, and, but again, I wouldn't expect a 12 year old child on some kind of medicine having side effects to realize that that's exactly what it was. And, and like, that's why that little girl that came up to me crying. And when she asked how you got rid of them, that hit me so hard because like that statement, you let's know, you're know, not alone too. Yeah, you know? Like they're that, not, it's, it's more statement. common that statement lets me know that she doesn't want to die. Right. She just wants to get rid of this stuff in her head. And so I, I told her that, that I didn't want to die and I'm stronger than my thoughts. And I know you're stronger than yours. And you know, there's people that can help. Um, and just talking. So back to the parent stuff is I think you need to communicate. But again, my wife would ask me what's wrong and I didn't want to burden her with it. Right. So I would just tell her I'm nothing. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just in a funk today. Everything's fine. Uh, when really I had spent hours trying to figure out how I was going to end my own life. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's going to be very tough for parents. I think you need to encourage your children to speak to you about no matter what it is, whatever it is they're dealing with, struggling with. I think we really need to encourage our children and young people to, to just communicate with us and that it's going to be okay and that I can get help or I'll do everything I can. And, um, but it, it's, it's a, it's a big challenge. So I think, I think what I'm hearing is, is offering your support unconditionally. You know, Absolutely. it's gotta be hard though when you have teenagers that are really rebelling and pushing back as they should, you know, sure. like as yeah. part of a rite of passage. But I'm really curious to learn more about your daughter who is, uh, as far as I can tell, your only child. She's she in third grade. Um, it's clear you love her. Um, what are you teaching her? You know, like it sounds like your intentionality and your consciousness over this is, um, it sounds like it, you're not hiding from right. her. So what do you teach her? How do you, how do you kind of, Im, you know, embed these, 
better thoughts or at least not better thoughts, coping mechanisms. Cause I think that's what we're lacking today is we lack the ability to cope because what we're taught is take a drug or, yeah. you know, numb it out, whatever. How do we cope? So how do you teach your daughter how to cope? So with my daughter, my relationship is we talk all the time uh, and she can talk to me about anything and I don't hold her back. Um, even like music she listens to or whatever. I'm sure some of the music she listens to at nine isn't appropriate, but she's going to listen to it. Right. And I don't want her doing it in her, but I want her to feel comfortable. I want her to feel comfortable around me. Um, the, 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 like she doesn't call me dad at nine years old. She calls me Michael because dad's babyish. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> but again, like I think it's crazy too. And every time I tell people that that's what they say, but if that's what she wants to do, then I, I'm fine with it. I don't care. And I kind of started it. Because when we would go out and have our adventures, I'm like, if you need help, don't yell dad. All kids sound the same. Yell Michael Zed Johnson, and I know it's you. And so the Michael thing kind of stuck with her. But we just communicate all the time, and I, I teach her to be kind. Um, I teach her to, to and, and actually she's taught me stuff. You know, my daughter has, has never described somebody by the color of their skin. And I'm so proud of that. How does she describe people? So I'll give you an example. Last year in third grade, she had two children of color in her class. And the little boy, every time I'd see him, he'd look at me. He'd be like, give me some money, Mr. Johnson. Give me some money. And I couldn't remember his name. So I asked her and she said, Daddy, you mean that boy with the real curly hair? And I'm like, yeah, him. <laughs> and she said, yeah. And so the girl was the same way. I couldn't remember her name. And I was asking about the young lady. She said, Daddy, you mean that girl with the real long, pretty hair? And I'm like, yeah. And I didn't even tell her how proud I was because I didn't want to influence her. You didn't the want to make it other, you know, like right. to other, the, other that person. The, the influence is going to happen. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I can kind of see it now, you know, where it's coming in from school and, and I'm really not sad. It's not the right word because I know it's coming, but you know, I just, I hate it because yeah. she's not raised like that. She, she, she's always looked at everyone as just friends. And that's what's so special about, you know, especially elementary age students is they're just friends and good friends and, and they love each other. And they look past all that stuff that, as adults, we've been kind of programmed to see. So I teach her to be kind. Mm -hmm. I teach her to talk. Sounds um, like tolerance too. Not to oh talk, my God. Just acceptance. And, yeah. yeah. And, and, and everything. And I also try to try to teach her to be aware. Like my child doesn't have the life that I have. Like my child doesn't have the life that probably 90% of the kids in her school have. We're always out doing stuff. Like, like this summer, I, I use um, one of the things I learned in BYLR, two of them be where your feet are to remember tomorrow. And I teach that stuff to my little girl and I share a picture with every, every group of kids I speak to. And it's my family standing on the skywalk at the grand Canyon. Mm. And I'm terrified of heights and walking on glass is not for me. And that nine-year-old girl, I'm standing at the door looking at them. that nine-year-old girl yelled at me, daddy, be where your feet are. <laughs> and I had, I had to muster up the courage to walk out there to have that picture made with her. But like that, that week that we were in Las Vegas, She's like, Daddy, I want a, I want a, a Lambo. So I went and rented a Lamborghini for the two of us. For the, like, her kids Baller. don't get – Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not – And so she's got a picture of it on her phone, and we're getting on the plane coming in, and the pilot's like, what's that? She's like, oh, it's just a Lambo. <laughs> and I'm like, and the pilot's like, really? And uh, so I, I, for her, like this weekend, we went to a hockey game, and that's just a normal Saturday for her. Mm -hmm. That's a once-in-a-year event for, for other kids. So I, I really want her to be conscious of – the life she has. And we try to share it. Like we took her best friend with us. And when we go to amusement park, we take her friends with us and, and we want to share those experiences with others. But I, I want her to learn and realize that, that it's, it's not common and it is special and you don't want to go to school talking about it, making other children feel bad. Um, and it's not her fault. You know, it's, it's just a Saturday for her, but I want her to be very conscious of that. And, and, and we help out every way we can. My wife is just doing some stuff for backpack buddies with work. We always give to, to underprivileged students. Mm. Last year we were out of school for three weeks for a hurricane and my wife and I went and, and got a trailer full of food and brought to the school because they were wanting to, to pack up 1500 bag lunches for the students. And we got a lot of credit for bringing this trailer of food, but we didn't do anything. We went to the bank, we got some money out, we went to Costco. The people that deserve all the credit are the people that made 1,500 sandwiches and mm -hmm. delivered 1,500 lunches. I did, I did the bare minimum there, but that's the kind of stuff. And that all came from my wife, you know, trying to be selfless. That's, that's, that's three things for me is seek happiness, be selfless, and surround yourself with the right people. And I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with that stuff. Yeah, but I've had, I've had a lot of challenges, though, too. <clears throat> 
you know, being poor really affected me. So when I first started making money, I started buying stuff to try to impress people. Like, you see these motorcycles? This means I made it. You see this big giant house? For all you people that said I couldn't do it, this means I made it. Um, and I'm very open. I, I went as far as when I was 40 to buy a fake Rolex to try to impress people that didn't even know me. Like, how ridiculous is that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm your age. Um, I just turned 45. And I think that there is a moment that happens, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if it's in your 40s, where you're like, this is all bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we would spend so much time where you realize that just to peel back the layers. But I think something does happen in your 40s where you've got enough runway behind you where you start to realize what's important and what's not. And it sounds yeah. like, you know, you and your family have really committed your life to service. Um, and how can I serve, you know? Um, and I did want to pause for a minute about build your life resume. Um, because some people may not know what that is, but that's how we know each other, yeah. um, is through Build Your Life Resume. And it is a community that was launched and started by Jesse Itzler. Jesse Itzler is a serial entrepreneur, uh, an ultra marathon runner. He happens to be the husband of Sarah Blakely of Spanx. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he's done amazing things, but he started this community called Build Your Life Resume. And it is, you know, how can you refocus what your time on not titles, on not just getting an actual resume, but how can you push yourself, um, whether it's through your body or through your mind, in a way where you focus on experiences and by nature, by pushing yourself and always um, being in a, a community of kind of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and looking for what can I conquer next kind of thing, or what can I experience? What can I share with my children? Um, by nature, you're going to do better in life. Um, I don't know if I've explained that properly, but I'm curious to know of how you got involved. And it's, you know, like I've looked at your Facebook feed and it looks like you're signing up for crazy stuff I, you know, like here and there. So tell me, you know, you have hyperthyroidism. So tell me more about your um, experience with Build Your Life Resume and what it's done for you. So I found Jesse through David Goggins and all that started at a dinner, a business dinner one night. We were talking about stuff and somebody's, I, I think I was talking about, I wanted to run a, a marathon at 40. I wanted to earn something. I'm not a runner. I'm not going to do it. It's not that important to me. I won't put in the work and effort. And this guy's like, have you ever heard of David Goggins? I'm like, no, who's David Goggins? So I immediately started searching out David Goggins, found Itzler, um, and then heard about the class. I signed up for three of them in a row um, because of the community. Um, yes. The community, building those relationships were very important to me. So I signed up for three of them in a row. Um, and, and, and like the last two, I didn't even take the, the classes or watch the videos. It was all about community and, and building real relationships. And then um, I signed up for camp, went to camp, and, and that was a life-changing experience. When I wanted to, to quit the endurance challenge a half a mile in and made it 12 point something, I'm like, that's a half a marathon. So this like, was, was the very first Camp Build Your Life resume yeah. that happened a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and it was part camp, part restoration, and part um, endurance challenges. Is that the yeah, best so way? There, yeah, there was an endurance challenge. There was a cold plunge. We had seven or eight <laughs> Did speakers. you do the cold plunge? I didn't. I took the chance, the opportunity to spend some time with, with Mark Brown, um, ex-NFL player, yeah, yeah. and was talking to him. But, I mean, we had amazing mindset speakers. Um, the endurance challenge. I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit that thing a half a mile in and you would pass people and they'd say, just keep going. You're doing great. And my, my legs were hurting and I, I just wanted to quit and give up. And midway through it, I, I ran into a young lady that had to take a break and was crying in her hands. And it hit me that if you quit, I quit. And then as, as I continued on, I was like, I can't quit because all quitting does is to give everybody else that wants to quit permission. It's okay to quit. And 100% of the people that started it finished it. 100% um, of the people that did the cold plunge stayed in the two minutes. Um, it was it was really, it was so much fun. Like, I can't explain it. It's difficult for people that haven't been, that, mm -hmm. that's not part of the community to understand it. Because I kind of get the, yeah, that's cool, move on attitude from from people that, that aren't in it. But I've signed up for 29029. Which you is did. Another, yeah, I'm doing Idaho in June. I, oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and three days before that, I'm going to climb Mount Hood in Oregon. Good Lord. Like, like I'm 240 pounds, can't walk up a <laughs> flight of steps without, and I'm climbing two mountains in six months. But, Unbelievable. What but a great I'm, role model for your daughter, honestly. I, 
I'm doing it for me, but I'm also doing it to show these kids that I speak to. Like I want that summit picture on Mount Hood to say the picture pre and the picture on the summit of if you surround yourself with people that refuse to allow you to fail, I'm telling you, you can do anything. And, um, and, and that's it. And then again, the community at 29029 will be the same as camp. And I just, I, just, I want to earn something. I've had a ton of experiences that you can buy with a credit card. It's time to earn something. And, 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 and that's what, that's what I'm doing. 2020 is going to be epic. That is going to be epic. A new decade. What a great way to do uh, it. So how do people contribute to your mission? So the easiest thing to do right now is, is purchase books to donate to elementary students. Um, it was, it's weird. The, the plan was to sell books to schools. That went very slow. Then it was to sell books to students. And one little boy at the first school I went to, Josh, paid for his book with a bag of quarters. And that took me back to my childhood and the sacrifices my single mother had to make. You know, was that laundry money or was that money Josh's mother was saving mm-hmm. for Christmas or birthday? Or maybe it was Josh's own money. Uh, and he just didn't want to feel left out. And, and like, I wouldn't have carried that baggie of quarters into school. I know I, I, w- I would have been too ashamed. That bag of quarters just said, you don't have a $5 bill. And so I left a book for every student at that school and every student at the next several schools. My wife and I have donated over 3,500 copies and the response has just gotten larger than we can financially take care of ourselves. So the easiest thing that the easiest way to help out is, is donate books for elementary age students. Um, and you can do that at bullyonthebus.com and just pick, I mean, one book, a hundred books, anything helps. But these kids, like the pictures I get with these students that um, want books and can't afford them. I had one child come up to me with a dollar bill and I was like, what's that for? He's like, to buy my book. I mean, I didn't have the heart to tell him that needed four more dollars. Michael will take care of this. And I just gave him a book and I give books to kids all the time. And yeah. Like I'm, How can you not? It's, it's unbelievable to me yeah. to even be considered an author or to even think about like kids wanting this or looking at it. I mean, there's 4,000 copies that are out there of this little book that we wrote last year and shared this experience with kids. It's, 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 can it's, it, can it be offered on in the plans as well? Like how so, do you feel what you do? So I've talked about, I've talked to my people. I've got one lady that helps me out and she just is again in that circle of influence about, you know, getting it set up to where we do it. Cause we did every bit of it. We, we self published. Yeah. Uh, she wrote it. She That's found a way it. to go. I think unless you're, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's a, it's a, it's a, K through probably three or fourth grade books. So I don't know that process and I'm not going to let somebody tell me it's not good enough. I'll just do it myself. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way I've always Mm -hmm. done things, but we need to get it on Amazon. We need to do all kinds of other things. But again, the focus for me is kind of shifted away from K through five. I'll still go speak at those schools. I love talking to those kids, but, but the the focus for me has really moved toward uh, middle and high school and the mental health aspect and letting these kids know that they're not alone that there's help out there, that, that, that their current situation is only temporary, um, and just encourage them to, to chase their dreams and surround themselves with the right people. And if I did it, as cliche as it is, if I did it, anybody can. And it's not easy, but it is simple. It's simple to surround yourself. The, the, the thought of finding the right people to surround yourself with is simple, but it's not easy. It's cost me family. Like my brother doesn't speak to me to this day. Yeah, that's um, what you said. I was wondering what happened. Um, he came to work for me. I'd been recruiting him forever to come to work for me. And when I sold my business, um, he's never told me, but I think what happened was he let jealousy and envy fill his heart and I didn't give him money. And so he got mad. Mm, That always, it, yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering what, you know, are there any advice you can give parents, adults, things to look out for? If there's an option for us to intervene or educate people, you know, any, anything, you know, that you've discovered on your travels that could help us to kind of support each other. Yeah. So I I think children, I think what we need to do for our kids is just pay attention, communicate, look at what they're consuming online. Look, if they're hanging out with new friends and what's going on there. And look, we all had friends growing up that our parents couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And in hindsight, my mom was right. You know, she yeah. knew that hanging out with whoever was a bad idea. Uh, but but I think communicating again for any relationship, right? It, it, it all kind of boils down to communication and letting these kids know that it's okay. And I had somebody tell me the other day that they, they weren't anti-therapy, but they felt like kids think going to therapy is cool now. So everybody mm. wants to go to therapy. And I, to me, that was the most bizarre statement. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I'm like, I, I, yeah. I'd like I to mean, ride that one. Yeah. Right. Like, like you should, I mean, if your kid wants to go to therapy, then you, you need to start having conversations with them and talking to them and just let them go talk to somebody. Like when I was going, my therapist finally told me, she's like, you don't need to be here. And I was like, I just, I just, <laughs> enjoy, you're fired. I just, I'm just like, I enjoy coming in and getting stuff off my chest and, and there's no judgment and it's not like talking to my wife and, and, you know, she's had a day at work and, you know, she don't want to hear me griping about seeing racism in the world. And my therapist <laughs> like, yeah, bring it in here. We'll talk about it. Yeah. So for me, that's kind of where it just turned into as a way to, to vent and, and talk and communicate. And, you know, that's what I'm hoping to offer these kids at these schools with this exercise to just let it out, get it off your chest. Let's talk about this stuff. I love what you're doing. So how can people find you? Everything is Michael Z. Johnson. Websites, michaelzedjohnson.com. All social media is Michael Z. Johnson will get you there, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I'm too old for Snapchat, TikTok. So <laughs> I that. That's why I tell I the kids. TikTok is where yeah, it's at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for all the kids. So that's what I tell them. I'm oh like, my God, too, I just sound so old. <laughs> I'm like, you're too young for LinkedIn and I'm too old for Snapchat. So. <laughs> but yeah, Michael Zed, Z-E-D Johnson is where everything's at. And bullyonthebus.com. Well, thank that, you so much. Yeah, this the, was great. I love what you're doing. I'm thankful for what you're doing. If there's any way that I can help support you, I'd be glad to do it. Ah, this is a huge help. Now we're just trying to get the word. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm always honored when I'm asked to share my story. And one last question. So do you, you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I saw that you just had a news story done on you um, uh, on TV, and it sounds like you're traveling or speaking in South Carolina. Are you traveling the nation or are you available for speaking um, at schools? So how do, how do people get in touch with you for that? website michaelzedjohnson.com is the best way to do that but yeah I've, I've got one of the guys from BYLR trying to get me to New Jersey to come speak at his children's school district I was speaking in Nashville earlier this year I went to Portland to speak but yeah anybody that'll that'll listen to my story I'll be happy to come speak that sounds great well thank you so much Michael Johnson I'm so glad you are a culture changer and thank you for being here tonight thank you so much for the opportunity I really appreciate it Ah, you can't help but be so grateful for the self-awareness and commitment that Michael Z. Johnson has made to really talk about bullying in a way that actually changes the culture. Thank you for all you do, Michael. And as for Little Left of Center, these podcasts are available not only on your favorite listening app, but also on Decatur FM and on Salesforce Radio. Text me your feedback at 470-242-6311. Go on. I'm serious. And if you haven't subscribed yet to my podcast, do it. Please leave a five-star review. And most of all, share this episode with all your friends and bullies. Culture changing is really a movement, but only works when the ideas are shared. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.